0: Hello, and welcome to the All Things Narrative Podcast, where we explore the relationships between the stories we love and the stories we live. I'm your host, Derek Hatch, and let's get started. Do you hear that, everyone? That's the sound of me losing my voice because, man, it's been a crazy last couple weeks. I completely lost my voice, and it's been slowly coming back, but it's been having the hardest time. I don't know if it's just allergies or if I've been sick with something. I have no idea what's going on, but I am still going to record this episode because we gotta schedule with this stuff. You know, All Things Dare to Podcast runs like clockwork. We've got an episode that comes out every two weeks. And so we gotta make sure that we deliver. And part of that it means scheduling and recording these episodes far enough in advance to give myself enough time to edit and promote them. So please pardon me and my raspy voice as we attempt to have a fruitful conversation about all things narrative, and particularly the fictional side of narrative. So a lot of this podcast is dedicated to talking about the stories of our lives and seeing our lives as unfolding stories. But today I want to focus more on the stories that influence us in our stories, particularly in fiction and particularly in books, novels, because we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about films. And I love films. Obviously, you can tell that I really do. But there's something interesting about film when you compare it to a book. These are mediums of storytelling, right? Now, with a film you're primarily focused on taking in an image, right? Filmmaker is first and foremost a visual medium for storytelling. When we watch a film, our brain is taking in images and then we're hearing words that complement and go alongside those images. Reading's a whole different animal because reading, unless you've got a picture book, it's just words. It's just the words there. And so people like me who are very words driven and I just love words, I love books and I love reading because you get to read something and the words act within your mind and they conjure up these images that you can imagine. I mean, the fact that us human beings can create these images, these stories in our minds, it never ceases to amaze me. When you're reading a book, you're creating a world within your mind. And the, or I should say the author is giving you words that together create a world in your mind. It's crazy to think about that. And then on top of that, you have those words doing something to you. So you're not just imagining what's happening. There's another part of your brain that's wrestling with ideas. Like what are the ideas that are being shared in this book? And then there's another part of your brain that's reacting to them. That's feeling them emotionally, right? Because you're having some sort of reaction. Are you angry? Are you concerned for this person? Are you sad and moved by their story? I mean, I'd love to see our brains when we read and how all these different parts of our brain are lighting up because reading is such an intellectually stimulating activity. And I've heard people say that doing a lot of reading can actually help you when it comes to memory and potentially combating illnesses like Alzheimer's and dementia over time, which as I've shared on an episode here, is one of my greatest fears is losing my memory, losing a sense of my story. So I do a lot of reading, um, not just because I love it, but because it keeps you sharp. It keeps you focused. And I was doing the episode that came out last with Thomas, where we were talking about his book, which I'm, I, when we recorded that episode, I hadn't read his book yet, but I read it recently. And the book was so good, I read it in a day. I, I couldn't put it down. It, it's a short book. It was only about 100 pages, but I read the whole thing. It was, it was amazing. And I'm so inspired by his story that he wants to create books uh, for people who might not want to read or might not be into be reading for them to find a book that's interesting, that tells a story that they'd want to read about. And so you got to check out that episode and support what he does because reading is an art form. And it is, sadly, an art form that is losing steam by many. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is why bother reading? Why bother spending time reading? If we have films and YouTube and all these things that we can do to occupy our time, to consume stories, why bother with the good old-fashioned book? It's funny, when I uh, designed my business card for all things narrative, if, if you've seen it before, you'll notice that it's a bookmark. And a lot of people will say like, don't you want to create like a smaller business card that people can put in their pockets? And I'm like thinking, yeah, put it in their pockets so it goes through the laundry and they forget about it or they stuff it in a bag and never look at it again. I created my business card as a bookmark because I want people to use it. Yes, obviously I want them to look at it and see what we offer and all that stuff. But I want them to use it. I want them to go find a book that they haven't gotten around to, that they've wanted to read. Something sitting on the shelf and say, you know what? I got this bookmark here. Maybe I should go read something. And I can't tell you how many times I get that comment when I give the bookmark to people where they'll say, ah, you know, this is great. I haven't done a lot of reading lately, but I've been meaning to. And that just, it warms my heart to hear that because I I I'm a big advocate for for reading. I mean, I worked in an after school program that helped students to be able to read on grade level. I mean, it's beautiful. I I'm all about getting people to read because reading is power. Right? Being able to read, to gain knowledge through reading. There is a a power that you have and a confidence that you have that you can be able to wrestle through ideas. And I think, you know, with the rise of AI and all these different things that are gonna make our lives more convenient. Even something great like Audible. Like I love Audible. I love audio books, but there's something really special about just getting a book, you know, especially if it's a cold day, you, you got sitting by the fireplace, cuddled up on the couch or your favorite chair with a cup of tea, a warm blanket and a good book. And you know, there was a a 2009 survey by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I know that was a while back, but I still think it's it's relevant because the statistics now are probably even worse than back then. But it talked about how on average, Americans spend about, you ready for this? Five hours per day looking at a screen, whether that's watching something on TV, whether that's on your phone, on your computer. So obviously, that number I think is probably even higher now. But an average of five hours a day of focused screen time. Now, yeah, you could be reading an ebook, but let's be honest. How many of you are actually reading ebooks in that five hours? Now, compare that five hours to the average amount of time that Americans spend reading a book a day. Are you ready for this? Because it ain't five hours the average American reads a book for 20 minutes a day. So you see the discrepancy there? And our culture has moved to become a primarily visual culture. So again, I understand it. But five hours a day on screens, maybe even more, compared to 20 minutes a day reading a book, or maybe even less. But I wanna make a case for you today why you should spend more time reading books, particularly fiction. That's what I want to hone in on today because, and I'll give this example here of a a men's retreat that I went on recently. And if any of you are listening to this episode, I promise I'm not trying to throw you guys under the bus. So at this men's retreat, I bring this big, thick book called The Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. And this book is 775 pages. So it is thick. Thick. And so I'm really excited at this retreat because I get some good reading time. Whenever I go away on vacation or a retreat, I love to get my reading time in. So I'm sitting out in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening. Like I spend a lot of time reading books when I get the chance to. And so I'm reading this book and there's all kinds of conversations I get into, right? I actually have one person on the retreat. I got a shout out to you, Phil, if you're listening. And Phil was like, oh, I've read that book. And I was like, what? Like, I have a friend who's actually read this whole book. I was really excited. But most of the people there were like, I don't got time for reading. Or I don't have time to read anything that long. Or I only like to read nonfiction. And this is why I want to talk specifically about fiction. Because I do think there's a lot of people out there that love to read like self-help books. Or how to get better, grow your business, right? Very practical books for your life, and I love those. I read, that's about half my reading in the year is usually either like theological, philosophical nonfiction or uh, books about life and living life. So nothing wrong with that. But fiction, I think, kind of gets a bad rap, or at least fiction books. Because when we're kids, we love fiction books. Think back to some of the, the books that you checked out from the library, books that you read in school. My Father's Dragon, the Magic Treehouse series, the Chronicles of Narnia, Dr. Seuss, The Giving Tree, which was one of my personal, and still is one of my personal favorite books, right? We're in this exciting world. Like when you you go into children's library and you, you see all these great books that you're surrounded by and you're just hearkening back to that time where you're, reflecting fondly on, on reading, if that was you. I don't know. That was me for sure. And you get into high school and you start to read some of the heavy hitters, some of the books that have actually changed civilization, that have changed culture. I'm talking about books like To Kill a Mockingbird and Night by Eli Wessel or books about the American experience like The Great Gatsby Catcher in the Rye, and just great literary classics like the works of of William Shakespeare. I know a lot of people who used to complain about reading those books, saying, oh, fiction's just a waste of time. It's just made-up stories. But let me make a case right now in this episode for why you should invest your time in reading more fiction. So a few of these things come from a book I quote often called The Storytelling Animal, a great compilation of all things story. So there's a book called The Moral Laboratory that he mentions that reviews dozens of scientific studies that prove essentially that reading fiction has positive effects on our moral development and our sense of empathy. Now, why is that? Well, it's because whether it's a first-person narrative, third-person, however they're telling the story, The reality is that when you read a book, you're really getting inside a character's head. And this is the big difference, I think, between books and films. Books allow you to get inside a person's head in a way that films 99% of the time can't do. And when you're understanding how a person thinks, why a person's feeling what they're feeling, even if... It's a tragic story, even if it's someone that you morally disagree with their choice. You have a better sense of understanding because you're in their head. You're walking the journey alongside with them. I remember when the Hunger Games films came out, and we've talked about those films here. And before the films came out, I wanted to go and read the books. And what I really loved about the books, now these books aren't like literary masterpieces or anything like that. But what I really enjoyed about them was being inside uh, a character's head, Katniss Everdeen's head, seeing the world through her eyes, seeing her thought process as she was trying to reconcile all these difficult truths about what was happening around her. And in the movies, while they are very faithful in adapting the events, the plot points of the books they really miss that sense of being with Katniss on the journey, and no matter how good an adaptation is of a book, no matter how close the film or the show is to the book, it will always lose that in some way. Even in uh, comic books, where you have the little thought bubbles and the the you're inside different people's heads, right? Unless you do like Spider Man narrating. You know, everything that's happening, which they do in some of the shows, I'll give them credit for. But otherwise, it's hard to be in somebody's head. And as we see the world through their eyes, not only is that image coming together, but we're on a journey feeling what they're feeling. I think that's why a lot of the times we get disappointed when we see adaptations of books because we create an image that's so powerful in our heads that we go and see the film and we're like, oh, this is one person's vision. I think Francis Collins was the guy who directed uh, Catching Fire, the second Hunger Games film, right? We're seeing his vision, his perspective of how he sees the book. But chances are, when you read Catching Fire, there were things that you saw differently. And that goes for any adaptation. I mean, my gosh, uh, my wife read all the Harry Potter books in the last couple of years she reread them. And when we were watching the films, it was just, and she's seen both and read, right? But it was interesting hearing her perspective of like, man, I pictured this so differently. I think that's true for a lot of us. Why else is fiction important? And why is it important to go and read like the great fiction, like the classics and the things that have really shaped up civilization and have contributed to our culture? Whatever culture you're in, Well, I think another reason is that fiction, I I think that is another reason right there, is that as Jonathan Gottschall says, these ink people, they change the world. And if you have a better understanding of the context of the culture that you're in and how you came to be here where you are, fiction is going to play a huge role in that. Um, In the encyclopedia, there's a claim in the book that says that literary art has as much effect upon human destiny as the taming of fire. We think of man discovering fire as one of those pivotal moments of our existence as people. Well, literary art, specifically the printing press, it's got to be right up there with it. Because you think about it, right? Reading was such an elite activity for the longest time. I mean, back in Bible times, most People didn't own Bibles. Owning your own Bible, as a matter of fact, is a fairly new thing in civilization, in history. Only as far back as the printing press, and even then with the printing press, it still was not mass-produced to everybody quite yet. But it was getting there. You see, with all these books and codecs and scrolls and parchments and different things, reading was something for the upper class, it was something enjoyed by the wealthy, the elite, the privileged. Well, what I love about the printing press and those thinkers in the Renaissance and, and beyond was that everybody could read. Everybody could learn to read. You have no idea. This is why sometimes I want to smack people in the head when I hear this. You have no idea what a privilege it is to learn to read. Go to other countries where not everybody gets to go to school. Reading is a blessing. Reading fiction is a blessing because you're engaging ideas on their own terms as the author is putting them forth, not through a third party, which is what film is, you know, to be, to be real. Film is engaging ideas. Uh, ad- I mean, a lot of films are adaptations of other works and you're engaging with those ideas through a medium, through a third person there. The book is the direct line between you and the author. It is the author saying, here you go. Here's what I have to say. Read it, let it sit in you. Let it stir in your mind and see where it takes you. That's why I feel like a lot of authors, we feel like we know them in some way. We have that connection with them, even though we've never met them. And ideas, I mean, just the reality of it is that books change us people. Books have changed us. Uh, there's a psychologist named Raymond Marr, and he wrote that researchers have repeatedly found that reader attitudes shift to become more congruent with the ideas expressed in a fiction narrative. Jonathan Gottschall continues on that to say, in fact, fiction seems to be more effective at changing beliefs than nonfiction, which is designed to persuade through argument and evidence. And he gives some examples that follow that. That's the scary thing with fiction, is that it will change you. It will make you a more understanding, empathetic person because you spend uh, time in in someone's head. I'll never forget when I was in eighth grade and uh, my uncle recommended to me the book, The Color Purple, saying it was... I think he said it was his favorite book or at least one of them. And I saw it at the library one day in middle school. Now, I don't know how this book got in a middle school library because uh, I got, read the first page and I was like showing all my friends and my mom was like, how did that book get in the library? I mean, it's a, it's a rough read. But man, here I am, a middle-class white kid reading a fictional story about a poor a teenaged black girl in the South in the early 1900s that was raped by her father, got pregnant and had to give up her two children and has no idea where they are. And that's just the beginning of the novel. Now the color purple is a fine adaptation. The Steven Spielberg film. It, it gets the events pretty, pretty accurate. And there's the musical coming out, which I'm definitely looking forward to seeing. But nothing's going to compare to the experience of being in her head for the entire book. Because the whole book is just diary entries. And you're seeing everything from her perspective. You cannot read the color purple and not walk away unchanged in some way. Now, I don't agree with some of the religious ideas of where the protagonist gets to by the end of the book. There's definitely some philosophical things I don't agree with, but I understand them. I understand her journey in regards to her relationships, her sexuality, her religious and spiritual life. Even if I don't agree with all those things or I personally experience them in any way, I understand them better. And the fact that a work like The Color Purple is so celebrated tells me that there's a lot of people that resonate with that as well in some way. And that's what that's what good fiction really does. It changes us. And maybe not all fiction will change us, but it will challenge you in some way. Because with a film, you have an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, maybe, and then it's done. And that's great. That's uh, for communal storytelling. I love experiencing films with people. But with books, you're in that thing for the long haul. When I picked up Brothers Karmazov and I think October, 2022, I didn't finish it until maybe April or May of this year because I'm a slow reader. I was in it, but man, did I get to digest it. And I really got to, dive into this story about three brothers, all incredibly different. They've got this father. You've got the the older brother. That's the strong, gruff, kind of military man trying to find his pleasures with woman all over the place, brash, rough around the edges, distrusting of almost everyone. Then you've got the middle brother, Ivan, the intellectual the more quiet, reserved, but is constantly taking things in, analyzing everyone and everything. And then you've got Eliosha, the youngest brother, the one who who's embarrassed by his family. He is all in with the church and with wanting to become a monk one day and just trying to cut himself off from the family drama. He's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's naive, but he's kind. He's loving. He's compassionate. He's the only character that pretty much everyone in the book trusts and looks up to. And you get to just sit in this tension between these brothers and the different events that conspire around them concerning their father. And by the time I got done with that book, I felt like I really understood something about everyone and not just them as people, but what they rep- represented. And then besides the fact that you get to go on this journey and really get immense in it, you also get exposed to just such incredible writing itself. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you get to sit there. So one of the most famous part of the Brothers Karamazov is this section in the middle with the Grand Inquisitor, which is a conversation between Ivan and Alyosha. Ivan has basically come out to his brother that he is an atheist and he doesn't believe in God. And he's trying to explain to his devoutly religious brother why. And the Grand Inquisitor might be, and I've read a lot of books about the church, especially about critiquing the church. The Grand Inquisitor might be the the greatest, most eloquent, most harshest, but most on-point critique of the church that I've ever read more than any work of nonfiction. Because the Grand Inquisitor is essentially about this idea of, well, what if Jesus came back today and did the things he was doing then? Talks about how the church wouldn't approve of it because what much of the church has become stands actually opposed to Jesus. Now remember, this was written in like the 1800s and there's a critique of religion going on that's very true of Russia there. But I think as well, The church has missed the mark, to say the least, in a lot of ways. And this critique, you really get to sit and take your time, you know, because with a film, things keep going, they keep moving. But I could sit here and read a phrase like, For who shall possess mankind if not those who possess their conscience and give them their bread? I could sit in that, sit in that for a moment before I go to the next line, the next sentence. I could sit in that and go, Wow, what do I think of that? Is that true? Do I believe in that? What are the implications of that? What does that mean? You can really take your time with it. And that's what I love about books. So here's a few recommendations of some books. If you're listening to this and going like, yeah, Derek, I'm with you. Sign me up. Where do I start? What's some good fiction I can read? What are some great classics? Well, I've mentioned a ton of them in this episode already. But I'll mention some more that I haven't talked about. And I'm literally just gonna look at my bookshelf. (laughs) all my fiction books up there. So I've already praised comic books a lot. I've done a whole episode about Marvel and why comic books are worth your time. So I'm not going to go into that. The Odyssey and the Iliad by Homer, if you got the time and the patience for them, those books form the foundation of storytelling for Western civilization. Uh, They emerge out of the, the Greek culture, of course. And when we talk about Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey, yep, we're right there. Lots of tropes, lots of things that we see in stories today come from that. I think brilliant stuff, brilliant, brilliant stuff there. Recommendation I have undoubtedly is the works of Shakespeare. His plays, which we read as novels, but the weird thing when we think about it is that, oh, these are actually plays that were acted out. But they're brilliant. Take the time to really understand them. You know, I remember in ninth grade reading Romeo and Juliet, the first page, first chapter, or the first scene, I should say, and going what is going on? And then in 12th grade or 10th grade reading Macbeth going like, okay, I think I kind of know what's going on. Then in 12th grade reading Hamlet going like, okay, I think I know what's going on. You start to get used to Shakespeare and that style, but then you get your mind blown. Like I had, my teacher would just like unlock these doors of just, ah, oh my gosh. Like, wait, 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 that's what that means? Oh, that's a euphemism for sex. What? Oh my gosh. Like, what what does all this mean? You, You just, your mind gets blown by how rich the language is for Shakespeare. So I definitely recommend his books. I definitely need to read more Shakespeare. Those are my top three favorites, the ones I listed, but lots of great stuff out there with Shakespeare. Another classic that I really enjoy is Frankenstein. I think no film adaptation has even come close to capturing the depth of that book. Even the 1994 uh, movie, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the one with uh, Robert De Niro as the monster, again, captures the events, not the heart of the book. The heart of the book is getting inside of the heads of Victor Frankenstein, this scientist who is basically trying to create life without woman. He is trying to create life In a weird way, in his image, he's trying to be God. But of course, to create life, it takes the man and the woman, and he's trying to do it in his own way. And of course, that leads to disaster. But then you get inside of the head of the monster. And a lot of people don't know that the monster becomes a pretty sophisticated character. And the monster has, you know, does the monster have a soul? Is the monster human in some way? It's a really it's a book with a lot of really rich interior life. Another book that I can't praise and recommend enough, also that I read in my senior year of high school, which I will just say that like my senior year of high school was probably like the MVP year for reading. I read quite a few of my favorite books of all time, still to this day, in my senior year of high school. Another one of those was East of Eden by John Steinbeck. I think that's his magnum opus. It's this epic uh, tale that spans three generations and how different rhythmic story patterns, uh, particularly biblical ones from the book of Genesis, how they trickle down through these different generations uh, in different ways. And just all about spending time with this family and seeing their life. And I think it's got one of the great antagonists of fiction with Kathy. And so East of Eden is a masterpiece. It is easily some of the best writing I have ever read and one of the best stories I've ever taken in. A couple more recommendations I'll give, um, Lord of the Flies, it's a hard book, but it's great. Dystopias in general, particularly the big two, uh, 1984 and Brave New World, I think they're juxtaposizing visions of dystopia, but they're both very interesting in their own right, and they both have a lot to say about today. I could do a whole podcast about how I feel like our world that we are entering into is uh, a brave New 1984. It's, it's a mix of both of those. It leads more onto the Brave New World side for sure. But, but we're definitely heading there. And those books are prophetic, written 100 years ago. And yeah, if you want something a little more postmodern and edgy, uh, there's a book called The People of Paper that my brother uh, turned me on to. And it's basically a book about a character that's going to war with the author. It's super meta. Uh, The Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse film actually kind of reminded me of it in a little bit of a way. But very fascinating book if you want something that's kind of out there. And of course, if you want to join me on the 775-page journey that I just finished a couple months ago and read The Brothers Karmazov, can't recommend that enough. That is easily, uh, I think, right up there with East of Eden as probably the best work of fiction I've ever read. I'd probably put them neck and neck right now. I'm, I haven't read East of Eden though since 2010. So I'm hoping to go back uh, probably in the next two years and reread it because I was in a very different place of life when I read it last. So I'd be curious to read it now. But I still, all this time later, I still remember, I still come back to those ideas, to those characters because that's how powerful a work of fiction could be. All right, now, this is the final thing I want to end with here. And that's talking about becoming a literate person. Not just someone who knows how to read, but someone who actually takes reading in. And here's what I mean by that. I took a class in college called Habits of the Heart. It was about building good, solid habits for your life. It was great. It was a class about character. And it was a class I really highly look, look back fondly on. And there was something that I was challenged to do in that class, which was to, which was this idea of reading and rereading. Because you see, because books can be so long, we could read a book one time and be like, okay, great. I crossed that off the list. Don't ever have to read that again. But this class really challenged me. It challenged me because it showed me that we don't really take a book in to its fullest level of capacity, fullest amount of depth that we can get out of it the first time. Same way when we watch a movie or anything like that, right? One of the things that we were challenged to do was to create a reading plan. Now, this reading plan wasn't just reading books that you wanted to read. And I do, by the way, have a list that I make at the beginning of every year of every book that I want to read in the year. And if you go on my Instagram, I have a little highlight Uh, for the stories where you could see each book that I just read. And so I do have a list for that. But this list is different. This reading plan was, what are the books that you're going to frequently revisit? And what they mean by that is reading a book once every five to 10 years. And I was like, ooh, I never really thought of doing that. Reading a book every five to 10 years? And so I remember making a list of, fictional books and non-fictional books that I wanted to reread. And so I have so many books on my shelf that I've accumulated that I've basically cut myself off because I am a a book addict. And I've had to cut myself off and say, you know what, I'm not going to buy any more books for the time being. I'm going to spend the next year and a half until December 31st, 2024. And in that, I've made a list of, I think, about... 25-ish books that I have on my shelf that I still have not read, and a good portion of those are fiction. And I've said, I'm going to commit the next year and a half to reading those books. Then, starting in 2025, I am going to do nothing that year but reread books that I haven't read for at least 10 years or more. So going back to East of Eden, going back to Frankenstein, going back to lots of books and seeing them from a different season from a different perspective of life and reflecting on them now uh, where where I am as you know a business owner and a father and a husband all things that I was not when I read those books so I'm really looking forward to doing that and I want to end here with this quote by CS Lewis so I got done reading just a little while ago so CS Lewis and J R Tolkien they wrote books about how to read books it's kind of funny because they're nonfiction but, and essays, but they're books about fiction and how to be a better reader. So the Tolkien book is called Tree and Leaf. We met referenced that on our fantasy episode and use that kind of as our guide for our why we love fantasy conversation. Now with the Lewis book, I just finished it and I want to read a quote to kind of end this here. And so I'm going to end with a few of these quotes here. So the first one here. Uh, is about this idea that I just shared. And I've really been thinking about this idea a lot since reading this book, which says, An unliterary man may be defined as one who reads books once only. He goes on to say, The rereader is looking not for actual surprises, which, which can come only once, but for a certain surprisingness. We do not enjoy a story fully at the first reading, not till the curiosity, the sheer narrative lust, has been given its sop and laid aside. Are we at leisure to savor the real beauties? Till then it is like wasting great wine on a ravenous thirst, which merely wants cold wetness. The children understand this well when they ask for the same story over and over again, and in the same words. They want to have again the surprise of discovering that what seemed Little Red Riding Hood's grandmother is really the wolf. It is better when you know it is coming, free from the shock of actual surprise, you can attend to the intrinsic surprisingness of the peripatia. So that's that's one thing there, right, is being taken away by a book more than once. And a lot of Lewis's book here is about how we need to come back to like a, a childlike place when it comes to reading. Again, not childish, but childlike. In fact, he reiterates that when he says earlier, no book is really worth reading at the age of 10, which is not equally and often far more worth reading at the age of 50. The only imaginative works we ought to grow out of are those which it would have been better not to have read at all. That's why these works, these classics, a lot of these books I've talked about, they've stood the test of time and great books, arguably like great cinema as well, um, can be read and experienced when you're young and when you're older, and you're going to experience them differently. And speaking of cinema, he says here, which I think is kind of funny, because uh, cinema was different place than it was at his time. If so, nothing could be more disastrous than the view that the cinema can and should replace popular written fiction The elements which it excludes are precisely those which give the untrained mind its only access to the imaginative world. There is death in the camera. Again, I love films, but there's truth in that. And so this is my last quote. This is where we're going to wrap it here. And it says that the story does what no theorem can quite do. It may not be like, quote, real life in the superficial sense, but it sets before us an image of what reality may well be like at some more central region. That's the heart of it right there. That's what in the fantasy and the science fiction episodes that we did, that's what we were getting at is fiction speaks to capital T truth. Fiction doesn't mean it's not true. Fiction just means it didn't happen in our world. But fiction can be true in the capital T sense, as Robert McKee talks about, where it speaks to what it means to be human, to our shared experience as people and what that means for our lives. Great works of fiction have changed the course of our lives. And there are many great works of fiction we should be indebted to for influencing people in such a way to where they open up and became more accepting and empathetic and aware of what might be possible and what truly might be good. So what are you waiting for? Go out there, create a reading list, find a book. Come on, we work hard. Do something. Reward yourself with the gift of good fiction. And that's gonna conclude my 50-minute commercial for reading. And so thank you so much for checking out this episode. And yeah, don't forget to connect with us. Hey, if you want to share what you're reading with me, if you read something good or you got a recommendation or anything like that at all, hit me up, email me, mes- message me. Find me on social media at allthingsnarrative. Find me on all- at allthingsnarrative.com. Let's connect. I'd love to hear more about what you're reading. You know, I want to, maybe all things narrative should do a virtual book club one day. Yeah. I've played around with that idea in my head. I think that would be something that would be a ton of fun to do. Let me know if that's something you're interested in. Anyways, guys, thank you so much. This is your friendly narrative practitioner, Derek, signing off and saying, thank you. And until next time, read a good book and enjoy yourself. Take care.